Well, Andrew read to us from John chapter 19 of this morning. And you couldn't help but notice as Andrew was reading, I'm sure, all of the references to Jesus as king. The question, are you a king? The statements about Jesus being king of the Jews. The details about what was written on the, on the inscription above the cross about Jesus' identity. Really, the whole history of the human race, is, it could be summed up as a, a quest for a king, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 20, 28, Adam and Eve were given dominion. That's the language of kingship. Adam and Eve were supposed to be kings and queens of the entire cosmos, but because of sin, they abdicated. They became servants of the serpent and of Satan. But God had a plan. Even in calling Abraham in Genesis chapter 17 verse 6, he told Abraham, kings shall come from you. Isaac was born to Abraham and then Jacob born to Isaac. Or, and then Jacob had 12 sons. One of them, Joseph, was sold into slavery in Egypt. And when they were all reunited, Jacob was prophesying over his children. And he centered in on his son Judah prophesying that one day someone from Judah, someone from that line would be a ruler. That he would, he would have the obedience of the peoples. That he would be a lion. Several centuries later, Moses has the people rescued out of Egypt by the hand and the power of God. And Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 17, before they go into the promised land, says, a, a king will a king will come, and this is how you are to have him rule over you. Then as the biblical story unfolds, we go to the book of Judges, which is an absolute nightmare in terms of morality and culture and ethics. And the book of Judges ends by saying that there was no king, and everyone did what was right in their eyes. The people asked for a king in 1 Samuel chapter 8. And God said this was a rejection of his rule over them. Nonetheless, God gave them Saul as a king and then ultimately David, a man after his own heart. And the promise was made in 2 Samuel 7 to David's offspring that one of his descendants would sit on his throne forever. Then after the book of Samuel, we have the book of Kings. Solomon starts off okay. His descendants were not followers of God, and then we have all through kings and chronicles and the prophets, story after story of failed king and longing for that ruler that had been promised, not just to David, but all the way back to Abraham, a king that would bring back that, that eternal purpose that was given to Adam and Eve all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. And we've been studying the gospel of John as a church family. And today we're jumping back into our death-defeated series. And in the first chapter of John's gospel, in the 49th verse, Nathaniel has his first meeting with Jesus. And he says, surely you are the Son of God. And then he says, you are the King of Israel. And this theme of kingship kind of follows all throughout the Gospel of John. In John chapter 6, after he fed 5,000 people with a borrowed lunch, they're, they're looking to make him king by force, and he withdraws because his time had not yet come. 
And then in John chapter 12, which really serves as a, as a turning point, as a hinge on which the, the narrative takes, uh, makes a turn, makes a transition, when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey to fulfill the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 9, the people say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. That's when the narrative really begins to slow down as we've been reflecting on over the last several weeks. We have the Last Supper. We have the washing of the feet. We have the, uh, the betrayal by Judas and the denial of Peter. Jesus has gone from the, from the Garden of Gethsemane to the trial before Annas and Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. And now he is before Pilate. And this question of kingship keeps coming up. And what we're going to find from this passage of this morning is that if Christ is not your king, then your life will continually be conflicted, confused, and ultimately corrupted by the evil of this world. Unless Christ is your king, your life will be continually conflicted, confused, and corrupted. But if Christ is your king, you will not be conflicted. You will have peace. You will not be confused. You will have purpose. You will not be corrupted. You will live a life of purity. And so we find ourselves journeying with Jesus towards the cross. And at this important season in our nation and really in our planet right now, with with so many things happening and new updates and new restrictions being laid out as the hours progress in each day, we are going to be focusing in these weeks on the cross of Jesus Christ. Now more than ever, we need to know about the power of God. Now more than ever, we need to know about the mercy of God. Now more than ever, we need to know about the love of God. And there's no clearer indication of the power and the love and the mercy of God than at the cross of Jesus Christ, where our King suffered and died for us. So Jesus is before Pilate. He had tried a couple of strategies to avoid dealing with Jesus the king. He at first told the Jewish leaders, you have your own law. Go, go judge him by, by your own law. And that didn't work. Then he tried to do the whole prisoner release thing at Passover. But they chose Barabbas instead of Jesus. And Pilate tries the next strategy. It's the first of what will be four points or four pictures that we're going to meditate on this morning. Here's the first one. The humiliation of our king. The humiliation of our king. Chapter 19 begins by saying that Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. The New Testament is very nondescript in terms of the violence done to uh, Jesus. People reading this text at the time would have been very familiar with flogging, might have witnessed it themselves as Romans were experts in inflicting pain on people that chose to step out of line. That simple, that simple statement, they flogged him, would have inflicted unbearable agony on our king. A whip made of multiple tails with bone and metal attached into it to, to tear the flesh as the victim is being whipped. This is what our king went through. 
and beyond the physical agony, witness the mockery that is taking place. They took a, a crown of thorns and they put it on his head. They arrayed him in a purple robe, which is a symbol of royalty. And they said, Hail, King of the Jews. They started mocking him. Why? Because the Roman soldiers at this point, they thought that, they thought that Jesus was somehow pretending to be king. When we think about the humiliation of our king, we need to understand, loved ones, we are the ones who are pretending to be king or queen. We are the ones who have, who have tried to grasp for God's throne. Just like Adam and Eve reached for the fruit because they thought that if they reached for it, they would become like God. Adam and Eve wanted to pretend to be king and queen. The humiliation that Christ is experiencing here, the mockery, the how dare you, don't you know who you are. Everything that was being said to Jesus should be said to us. And the first thing they put on him was a crown of thorns. The the thorns are a a symbol of the curse. Genesis 3.17 says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Because Adam and Eve rebelled and tried to pretend to be king, Jesus put on the crown of thorns and bore the judgment that all of us deserve. Then Pilate, in verse 4, went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Well, Pilate, if you find no guilt in him, why did you just have him flogged? But we, we know from chapter 18, Pilate's asking the question, what is truth? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's right or what's wrong. All that matters is what works. All I want to do is get out of this situation. And when you allow relativism to to guide your morals, you, you can make statements like, I find no guilt in this man, and yet you can inflict him with flogging. But this was all part of Pilate's escape strategy. He thought, if I humiliate Jesus enough, if I can make a spectacle of them, think about this, this is an honor-shame culture. And so if Pilate could say, behold the man, look how pathetic he is. He's been beaten, he's been mocked, he's wearing this this ridiculous costume right now. No one is going to follow him. Clearly he's no threat to Rome at this time. That was his strategy. That he would humiliate our king. But look at verse 6, it says, When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! So after the humiliation of our king, that brings us to our second point, and that's this, the rejection of our king. The rejection of our king. Going back to the very beginning of the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, verse 11 in the prologue, it says that he came to his own And his own people did not receive him. The chief priests, the the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin were rejecting Jesus. Pilate, in utter frustration in verse 6, says, Take him yourself and crucify him. Pilate knew that that was politically and practically impossible. But Pilate's coming to the end of his rope here. He's tried tried the handle it by your own law thing. That didn't work. He tried the Barabbas thing. That didn't work. He tried the humiliation thing. And that didn't 
work. Pilate is conflicted. All Pilate needs to do to get crystal clarity on the situation is to acknowledge that Jesus actually is king. And so often in our own lives when we are conflicted, if we would just bow the knee, if we would just stop trying to act like we are in control and recognize that Jesus is, then we would see things with greater clarity. He says in verse 6, I find no guilt in him. This is now the third time he's he said that in chapter 18, verse 38, chapter 19, verse 4. He keeps saying, I find no guilt in him. This is making it absolutely clear that Jesus was innocent. We follow a sinless Savior who lived a perfect life. Verse 7, the Jews up the ante. It says that they answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. The law that they're referring to there is Leviticus chapter 24, verse 16. And they let Pilate know that Jesus proclaimed to be the Son of God. Now up until this point, Pilate had only been informed about charges related to politics. Everything had just been centered around uh, Jesus is claiming to be the, the king of the Jews. And it was a political issue. That's why Pilate had been brought in, and that's why Pilate understood why he was involved in the process. And yet now, the tables have turned. Now it becomes theological. Now they say, we have a law, and he must be put to death because he claimed to be the Son of God. You can tell Pilate's caught off, caught off guard by this. Look at verse 8. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. You see, a Pilate didn't believe in the God of the people of Israel, but, but he was a spiritual person like anyone living at that time. He did not want to be involved. He just flogged a man who was claimed to be the son of God. Now he's getting anxious. His mind begins to race. He's concerned. So he, he goes back to Jesus. In verse, verse 9, he entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Fulfilling the prophecy in Isaiah 53, verse 7, that, that like a lamb before its shearers is silent. He didn't open his mouth. So Pilate said to him, will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Again, Pilate thinks that he's in control. That's why he's conflicted. That's why he's confused. That's why he will ultimately give in to the corruption of evil in the world around him and in his heart. Jesus, again, brings crystal clarity to the situation in verse 11. Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me unless it has been given you. Jesus is the true king. Jesus knows where true authority comes from. And he says here, unless it had been given you from above. Then he says, therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. He's talking about Caiaphas or perhaps a Judas. All sin is offensive to God. All sin puts sinners in hell. But Jesus, in a number of different times, talked about sin being greater than others. He talked about Sodom and Gomorrah not being punished as much as some of the people that rejected him in his word. The, the worst sin 
is to, is to reject and revile the only one who can save you from sin. That's why Jesus said they were guilty of a greater sin. Verse 12 says that from then on Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Notice, Pilate sought to release him. He had been seeking to release him all of this time. But all the more now, he's, he's intent on setting Jesus free, but he's conflicted. He doesn't want to kill an innocent man. He has a conscience. But he also doesn't want to upset the people that he's supposed to be ruling because the people that are, he's supposed to be ruling could go and complain to, to, to Tiberius Caesar. And Pilate could be out of his job. And for all of Pilate's life, he had been managing his own desires and the Caesar's desires and the people's desire. And now he can't please them all at once. This is why living with Jesus as king just simplifies our life. It's just so much better to, uh, to simply trust in him, to have an audience of one, to have one king. Caesar is so conflicted. Caesar, or, sorry, um, what's his name? Pilate is so conflicted because Pilate thinks he's in control. But he's not in control. He's being controlled by the Jewish people. He's being controlled by Caesar. That's what happens when we don't bow before Christ as king. And the Jewish leaders knew right where to strike. They say anyone who opposes Caesar in verse 13. Sorry, verse 12. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So they knew that they could catch Pilate. They knew that they could, could lead a revolt or they could complain to Caesar and Pilate could lose his job and possibly his life for not handling the situation rightly. Verse 13, so when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out again and sat on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover and it was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king! And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? Pilate took one last ditch effort. He tried to display all of the pomp and circumstance and the power related to his position. He went to this place called the Stone Pavement. He went and sat down on his judgment seat. He tried to assert his authority. All of the symbols, all of the visuals pointing that he was in control. This was his, his last way of trying to take control of the situation. But again... The Jewish people are not doing what Pilate says. Pilate is doing what the Jewish people say. He asks the question. He says, shall I crucify your king? And they say, we have no king but Caesar. Not only is Pilate conflicted and confused and compromised, the Jewish people themselves have foregone and, and, and betrayed all of their deepest convictions. Even if the Jewish people didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah and the king, they were still hoping in this future king who would overturn the Romans and who would bring shalom and, and peace to the people of God and, and to the whole world. 
They didn't believe that Caesar was their king, and yet look at what they say here. We have no king but Caesar. It's not just Pilate that's corrupted and compromised here. The Jewish leaders are as well. They're betraying everything that they stand for with that statement. All because they want the true king to be crucified. So we have the humiliation of our king, the rejection of our king, and then thirdly, the crucifixion of our king. It says in verse 16, so he delivered him over to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called, to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him. Again, no detail is given here, similar to the statement of they flogged him. The simple statement, they crucified him, said enough. New Testament scholar Andreas Kostenberger describes crucifixion in this way. He says in ancient times, crucifixion was synonymous with horror and shame. For hours, if not days, the victim would hang in the heat of the sun, stripped naked and struggling to breathe. In order to avoid asphyxiation, he had to push himself up with his legs and pull with his arms, triggering muscle spasms that caused almost unimaginable pain. The end would come through heart failure, brain damage caused by reduced oxygen supply, suffocation, or shock, atrocious physical agony, length of torment, and public shame combined to make crucifixion a most horrible form of death. This is what our king went through. Think about this for a minute. As Jesus is lying back with his arms stretched out, seeing the soldier that is holding a mallet and a spike in his hand. As as he's holding the mallet, think about everything that could be going through Jesus, the Son of God. Think of everything that could be going through his mind at that point. And how he's holding a mallet. And how Jesus, together with his Father and the Spirit, de- de- designed the human hand to have opposable thumbs so that they can hold tools like, like a mallet. And as the, as the soldier raised his arm, thinking about all of the bones and the tendons in the hands, and, and, and the radius and the ulna, and the elbow joint, and then the shoulder socket, thinking about all of the, the muscles, the tricep, and the bicep, and the, and the forearm. Jesus, thinking about all of this, knowing that soldier's name, having a, a count of the number of hairs on his head, knowing his whole history, having knit him together in his mother's womb, knowing everything about that soldier, being able to not only look into his eyes, but also into his soul. As the King of kings and the Lord of lords, to surrender to that soldier in that moment. Loved ones, this this is our King. 
Even though the whole crowd was yelling, crucify him, he died for them. Even though the soldiers were striking the nails into his hands, he died for them. Even though you and I try to act like we're king and queen, he died for you and he died for me. And in four simple words in verse 18, there they crucified him. And with him, two others, let's just say that's you and that's me because that's where we belong. With him, two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. the crucifixion of our king. And then Pilate writes this inscription in verse 19. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Verse 20 says, many of the Jews read the inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. It was written in Aramaic and in Latin and in Greek. And this brings us to our, our final point this morning, the identification of the king. It was common for there to be an inscription placed over the head of the person being crucified. This served as a deterrent to warn people, to let people know this is what this person did. And if you were to do the same, you're going to end up in the same place as them. Pilate made sure that it was written in three languages. During the Passover season, there would have been people from, from all over visiting. He, he had it written in Aramaic, which was a cultural concession. That was the everyday vernacular, the, the common language of everyone living in the, in the region of Judea. It's what, it's what Jewish people spoke back and forth to one another in everyday life. Next, he wrote it in Latin, which was the official language of the Roman Government That would have been the language that would have mattered to Pilate to make it official. And then he wrote it in Greek, the language that the New Testament is written in. The international trade language, the language that people from all over the world, that was the, the common ground, that was, the, that was the, the language that they used to communicate cross-culturally. Jesus is declared the king of the Jews in these three languages. Because he wasn't just king for the Jewish people, otherwise it would have only been written in Aramaic. It's written in Latin. It's written in Greek. Our Bibles are translated into English or Swahili or Russian because he's the king not just of the Jews, he's the king of the world. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Loved ones, do you know this morning the identification of the king? Don't be like Pilate and try to cast him aside to, to try to say, well, someone else can decide about religious things. That's not really my thing.
will you recognize who Jesus truly is? That he's the king of the cosmos, that he's the king of your heart. There's this inscription written above the cross of Jesus Christ. We see an inscription later in the, in the word of God in Revelation chapter 19 verse 16. This great image of Christ coming with a sword in his mouth and riding on a white horse and in victory and in glory. And then there's an inscription, not above his head, but on his robe and on his thigh. And it doesn't say king of the Jews. Revelation 19 verse 16 says, on his robe and on his his thigh, he has a name written, king of kings and lord of kings of lords. In another place, Revelation chapter 15, verses 2 to 4, the people are gathered in worship together and they sing the song of Moses. And it says that they sang to the Lamb and they they say, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways. And then it says, O King, not of the Jews. He is the King of the Jews. But it says, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. That he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That is his identity. And that's where we find our identity as well. I love how Charles Spurgeon talks about his own personal reaction to Christ the King on the cross. He says this, He wore my crown, the crown of thorns. I wear his crown, the crown of glory. He wore my dress, nay rather he wore my nakedness when he died upon the cross. I wear his robes. The royal robes of the king of kings. He bore my shame. I bear his honor. He endured my sufferings to this end that my joy may be full and that his joy may be fulfilled in me. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are present with us wherever we are. I thank you that although we are rebels who have tried to overthrow your benevolent reign over us, your rightful dominion over all of mankind, Lord, we confess to you our rebellion. We want to stop living like we are kings and queens. And we want to live in full submission and obedience and joy and delight in your reign. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who came as a king. Nathaniel saw it when he first met your son. Lord, the the people recognized it on on Palm Sunday when they declared Hosanna, blessed is the king 
Lord, I pray that we would see it. I pray that as we contemplate your crown and glory, as we contemplate the crown of thorns that you wore, as you took our place, as you bore our shame, as you took our curse, Lord, I pray that this would be more real for us than ever before. Lord, we love you and we trust you. Lord, you know my heart as a pastor sharing themes like this in a half-empty room, hoping that it's getting through to people at their kitchen table or in their, in their living room. Lord, we are trusting you with that. These are the weightiest truths on planet Earth, Lord. This is the pinnacle of divine revelation, Christ crucified. If we don't get this, Lord, we get nothing. And so, Lord, I pray that you would take my words coming in this way as imperfect, Lord, as they may be, that your living and active word and that your life-transforming, salvation-granting gospel would penetrate hearts, Lord, for your glory. We trust you with this, Lord. The crown belongs to you, Lord. And so we crown you in this moment. We worship you in this moment. You are indeed King of kings and Lord of lords.